Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Capital Games Podcast. Uh, you have your boy Sam Johnson here with Tyler Sells. Tyler, how's it going? Hey, guys. Great to be here. Excited for another great podcast. We've got some interesting things to talk about today. Not quite as many macroeconomic, the world is ending things, but a few fun topics for us. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it'll be, I think this is going to be a little bit more of a, an interesting pod just because of, um, we're getting a little bit more in the weeds with a couple of stories that came out this week. So I think it should be, should be pretty interesting. Um, but as always, uh, you know, got to throw out the disclaimer. This is not investment advice. Um, none of the information that me and Tyler are talking about is uh, material non-public information. And the opinions that me and Tyler shared do not reflect the opinions of the companies that we work for. Um, so with that being said, Tyler, why don't you kick us off with our first topic of the day? Well, guys, I've got some really exciting news to share. Um, the Capital Games Podcast has our first sponsor. No, I'm I'm Sam's face. I'm kidding. We don't we don't have a sponsor yet. But <laughs> throwing like, this, this out there, <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's looking to sponsor a podcast, um, just reach out to us. We'll tell you about our viewership, and uh, we can maybe set something up. So, uh, all joking aside, the first joke that we're going to talk about really today is Adam Newman from WeWork and his new venture, which was. Uh, funded by Andreessen Horowitz and uh, A16 Ventures, right, Sam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh, it's it's a pretty sizable deal. So we'll walk you through a little bit of like the the deal spec. So it's a three hundred and fifty million dollar investment from Andreessen. Um, they are valuing his company Flow, which has not officially started operating, um, at roughly a billion. May I've heard maybe a billion five to two billion dollars somewhere in that range. I think the headline number was a billion, but it could be a little bit higher. Um, and so, what is Flow? Flow is essentially going to be a residential real estate owner um, that is kind of tied together with a few buzzwords like community and technology and. So it's a little bit opaque as to like what exactly the product offering is going to be besides the fact that they're going to be owning apartment units across the country that are um, kind of tied together with this, like a common branding. Um, So not too distant from like a little bit of what WeWork was, but um, that is going to be backed by real estate that the company owns, not leases like WeWork was. Um, I know Adam Newman is going to be putting up a pretty substantial portion of his own cash and his own personal real estate holdings. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting, interesting investment. Um, it was the largest check that Andreessen Horowitz has ever written, uh, which makes sense from like the point of view that it is real estate that, that is going to be owned by the company. So it's not just like a software startup or something like that. So um, that's a little bit more of the headline information on it. Tyler, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it though. Okay. So why don't we start by breaking this down just a little bit for people who may be unaware of some of the story. So um, Adam Newman, founder of WeWork. Uh, WeWork is probably the name many of you are familiar with um, the, you know, co-op co-working space uh, that kind of became really popular several years ago, um, had a lot of dramatic growth, um, Adam Newman was kind of seen as this Messiah figure. They raised a lot of money, including money from SoftBank. Um, the business ran into quite a bit of trouble, both from kind of Adam Newman's personal 
um, story and kind of quirks as well as just the business struggling financially and never being able to turn a profit. There's a great um, documentary on Hulu and then also a dramatized kind of, I don't know what you would call that, kind of like a dramatized documentary story type thing um, where Adam Newman's played by Jared Leto and Anna Hathaway plays his wife, who's probably equally as um, crazy, if that's an okay term to use here. Um and uh, that great. If anyone wants to go learn about WeWork, that's what they should go and check out. Um, but really, Andreessen Horowitz is, I think, if not the largest, one of the top three largest VC funds. They manage um, like thirty billion. Yeah, they're definitely 30, one of the biggest. Something like that. A huge track record of success. Basically, any massive deal that happens in the startup world, um, generally they're involved in it, and their name is kind of seen as like really the stamp of approval, alongside mm-hmm. firms like Sequoia and a few others. Um, all that to say, um, this new venture, you know, I think I've heard a lot of mixed reviews. People are like, really? Like you're betting on Adam Newman, like after all this. Um, and then the, the other side of it being with people, oh, maybe it'll be a good idea. But I think, Sam, maybe you and I talk a little bit about both why this is a bad idea and why it's a good idea. And I actually probably more to the side that it's a good idea. And I'll give my quick cliff mm-hmm. notes and hand it back off to you. First of all, he's already, he's, this is a repeat founder. So his chances of success all, always go up on repeat founders generally. Um, Adam Newman did make a lot of money for a lot of people on his last venture. Like, you know, some of the people that wrote the checks towards the end lost money, but people who wrote checks in the beginning probably made money throughout that venture when they sold Mm -hmm. in, in secondary rounds. Um, and then three, he's already got a mass portfolio. Like you talked about, he has his own money. He's got a lot of experience. He's got a lot of network. He's got a lot of name. Like he's going to be able to generate hype for this more than any other startup would ever be able to do simply because of his name and history with WeWork. Mm-hmm. Um, and investors know him and they, you know, they know some of the bad things, but at the end of the day, people care about making money. Like they're investing to make money. Um, and I think he has a chance to do that here. So I'll throw it off to you and let you give some some notes and thoughts. Yeah, I actually, I think initially a lot of like Andreessen was getting clowned on Twitter a lot earlier this week. And the more I've thought about it, the more I don't hate the deal. Like I think one, it's like, okay, great. They own the real, from like a purely financial perspective, they own the real estate. So there's going to be intrinsic value there. Whereas we work like the valuation was crazy and they didn't own any of the real estate. Um, There you go. That's a lesson learned, right? Like that's an example of a lesson learned. Right. And I think to that point about lessons being learned, I think he now is going to be under so much pressure to perform one and two, to be a responsible um, straight laced founder because of, you know, like if he's, if, if he like kind of goes off the deep end with this, he's done like he's done forever. And like, you know, he's made a ton of money. So like, he doesn't, you know, it's not like he's going to be living on the streets, but like, this is his second, like this is his second chance. And so if he screws this up, it's, it's pretty much over. So like he's under a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to like be a straight laced, you know, founder that produces results. I think the, like, to be honest with you, I don't like the business kind of, it, it makes sense to some degree. Like there's no real, um, like national apartment brand, if you will. Like there's large companies that own buildings in various markets, but there's not like a cohesive brand when it comes to residential real estate across the country. Um, and so I think that'll be kind of an interesting way to see like how that pans out. 
Um, I'm very interested to see how the technology piece of it gets uh, implemented um, because obviously Andreessen is a, is a technology investor. And so I'm, I'm interested to see how that pans out. Um, so I think like for me, it's not, it's, I, I don't hate it. Um, I think it's, it's pretty interesting. And obviously like if, Andreessen Horowitz is backing it. They see something that is valuable um, because obviously they're a lot smarter than me and you when it comes to investing in companies. So I think it'll be really interesting to see over the next couple of years how, um, what the vision is and how it gets executed. Because quite frankly, like we don't, there, there wasn't, I read Andreessen Horowitz's press release about it and there wasn't like, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of information on what the company actually is other than like an owner of apartments. So it'll be- and here's what people have to remember too. Andreessen Horowitz, if they're investing a billion dollars, they're only hoping to 300 million of that money that they put into companies will generate return, right? I mean, like they're not looking to say every, every company we invest in is going to hit it big. And so I think that's one thing that people have to realize too is like, I think when a VC company invests, invests, like sure, they think there's a very high probability that it's going to work out. But at the same time, like you, people aren't like, if this isn't, you know, this isn't some massive, this isn't Walmart acquiring some company hoping it's going to like add their P&L and EBITDA. Like this is a bet on a founder. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this has happened after like a good amount of time has passed from WeWork after like his story has come back up in the news. He did his first interview about a year ago. The Hulu documentary came out. The Apple documentary video thing came out that got really popular. Um, you know, like I think this is a very strategic move that has a lot of nuances to it. Um, and I do think you're right. There could be, like, I think there's going to be fundamentally something here. And I think with this time, like, WeWork was cobbled together. Um, the culture, it was built, and then good money was added into it. But this is starting from, just like you said, like, from the beginning with big investors. They're going to have a lot of regular, like, you think Andreessen Horowitz is going to invest and not have, you know, Goldman Sachs bankers in there auditing financials um, quarterly. Like, this is going to be... Um, you know, this is going to be taken very seriously. So I think that's also different here. Um, and so I don't know. I think like, again, they invest with the expectation that things sometimes fail. But, um, I think that, that this is a good, this would be a good bet to take. Right. And Mark Andreessen is joining the board as well. So that's, that's also another like one vote of confidence, but two, he's going to be able to advise and guide, um, Adam Newman if need be. So, I think it's I think it's pretty fascinating. Like it's I don't think anybody in 2019 when WeWork was going public and their S1 came out and there was a bunch of stuff in it that was like highly questionable. I don't think anybody would have thought that Adam Newman was going to have another chance at a big startup, much less get backing from one of like the most prestigious names in the industry. So it is interesting how they've gone about it. Like they're not starting with like a, you know, hundred million dollar raise cobbled together from a lot of like big, big fun. Like they're starting with a massive history making raise. So it's interesting. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I, I feel like because the real estate is backstopping it, it's like, okay, it, it almost like de-risks it in a way for Andreessen because they're like, they're not just buying an equity stake in a software company. Like there's tangible assets behind this company that, you know, if worst case scenario, it goes belly up, like they can get something back from it um, hopefully. And there was no indication as to whether or not 
all 350 million was all equity financing or if part of it was debt financing. Yeah. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if a portion of it is debt financing. Um, so it's, it's pretty fascinating. Like this, this, this isn't a typical venture deal. Like it's a deal by an adventure, by a, a venture investor, but it's not a typical venture deal. Like this, this kind of a company falls outside of the spectrum of what most venture investors are involved with. Well, and you mentioned that, you know, like the, for the technology angle that Andreessen will advise on here. But I also think, you know, the technology side was something that, that we work was never able to figure out. They tried to figure right. it out. They tried to claim a technology company. I hope that same mistake here isn't made. Um, I hope that they're able to actually think about how do we make a technology enabled, you know, residential mm-hmm. real estate venture. Um, and I think that has an opportunity to be real based off of Adam's previous experience, literally spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars attempting this in the mm-hmm. work world. I mean, like there's no better learned success, earned success, learned experience than literally saying to these investors, I have spent $400 million trying to think <laughs> about how to do technology in the working space. It mm-hmm. didn't work. Here's what I learned. Like to me, that gives me a whole lot of confidence, even though it's like this guy lost $400 million. Mm-hmm. Like it was someone else's money. So like, yeah, let's go do it. Right. But- right. And I feel like the, um, I feel like there is a little bit more of an objective, like in, in real estate, there's, there's much more of an objective, like, this is working or this is not working way of looking at things because it's just completely different than like a software business or, you know, a mobile app or whatever, fill in the blank. And so it'll be very evident whether or not the technology is working here. Like you can't just ride off of like, Oh, we're growing users, but like our, um, our acquisition costs are like skyrocketing. And so like, we'll never make a profit. This is like very clear okay, the technology is lowering vacancy rates and increasing rents or it isn't. Yeah. And yeah. so um, I feel like that will be an interesting dynamic. You know, I'm sure we won't get much information on their quarterly earnings and all of that because they won't be publicly traded. But, you know, every now and then companies do like to release some stuff. So it'll be it'll be fascinating to see kind of how this turns out. Well, and the only last thing I'll say on this and we'll move on is today – um, I live in Long Beach in an apartment complex that's, you know, one of these like amenity driven apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. If Adam Newman opened a, um, you know, a residential building like this next door, uh, I would go and change my lease tomorrow. Like it, uh, my, I, my bet would be that it's going to be a good place to live, a fun place to live, have a lot of cool shit. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that that would be the case. And I think that's what you're going to see. A lot of people will take bets on that. A lot of younger young professionals will take bets on that just after watching WeWork history. Like, hell yeah, I'd want to go back to the early days of working in a WeWork. So. Well, and even if you, like, if you've ever been inside of a WeWork, like they're beautifully designed spaces. Yeah, great. Like you, you cannot knock WeWork about that. Like they're beautifully yeah. designed. Like it's, it's a great place to be like, so if they're going to apply, you know, similar design concepts and, you know, quality of design and all of that to, a living space like if you live in a in a urban environment you know you spend a lot of time in your apartment and you kind of just you, you like it's a big investment you make and you want to make sure you get it right and so um totally. you know i would be down to live in a place that's like i'm like wow this is amazing you know like totally. there's a lot of apartments in new york city that are not 
uh, yeah. very aesthetically pleasing to live in. And so to be able to live in a place like a building that, you know, has a very like distinct vibe to it. Yeah. Um, I think young professionals like us would, would definitely pay a slight premium for that. So, and I think that will be, I think you'll see that when the wait list come out and I think like mm-hmm. they're betting on that. All right. So speaking of more jokes, more memes, um, let's <laughs> move in to, uh, bed, bath and beyond BBBY. That's our stock ticker for those of you who um, aren't retail meme stock traders who spend all your days on Reddit looking for the next hot piece of stock <laughs> to buy. Um, Sam, you want to give a quick overview? Yeah. So Bed Bath & Beyond were um, kind of like lumped into this meme stock craze early in 2021. Um, hey, why don't we start with this? Okay. Think to yourself, how many of you listening – when was the last time you went to a Bed Bath & Beyond? <laughs> right. I actually don't know if I've ever been in one before. <laughs> Maybe a couple times. Um, yeah. Just a, just a refresher. They're the ones where you walk in and there are the walls that are like, you know, 20 feet high, full of just junk to buy. Um, and it's like only slightly, it's got like a touch of Target upscale feel, but just filled with junk. Everything that you'd ever want for your home <laughs> or apartment is there. How many of you have been there? All right, probably none of you, or at least a few times. I doubt we have any Bed Bath and Beyond fanatics. That's why their stock is in the dump. Number mm-hmm. one. Now, Sam, please. So they um, got thrown into kind of this crazy meme stock trend uh, early in 2021 with GameStop, AMC, and a few others. Um, basically, a bunch of people like you know retail traders, so like regular people who had money to play with, uh, started investing tons of money in these companies and shot their share price through the roof. Um, and so, you know, GameStop, I think at one point was like, you know, over $400 and months previously it was trading around like 50, like just craziness like this. And so um, a particular investor uh, named Ryan Cohen, who I believe was, it, it was pets.com, right. That he sold um, early, early days, uh, like startup founder sold his company and, uh, you know, he's got money to burn. And so he kind of was like, all right, um, let me become an activist investor. So what does an activist investor do? They, lo- they buy a large portion of a publicly traded company, join the board and try to kind of like steer the ship from there, um, hoping that the stock price will go up and then, you know, they make money off of it. So he, um, he uh, joined the board of GameStop and of... Um, end of uh, Bed Bath and & Beyond and um, was kind of seen as like this white knight saving race that was going to come in and, uh, you know, turn the company around and make it a profitable uh, company or a, at least more profitable and like just success. Um, so he was doing that with GameStop, um, genuinely like implemented some interesting new like pieces of technology that they were using, increased their e-commerce presence. Um and uh, the hope was that he was going to revitalize Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, he announced this week that uh, he is actually not doing that and is going to be selling or has already, I believe he's already sold everything, um, but he completely got rid of his stake in Bed Bath & Beyond, made around $60 million off of it. Um, and the stock is absolutely cratered the la- like the, the second half of this week. I think it dropped 40% on Thursday and another 35 on Friday. Um, 
So yeah, it's been a bad week for the Bed Bath and Beyond stock, but it. So, uh, go ahead. Little, go ahead. So a little bit of background on Bed Bath and Beyond. They um, have like like many stocks. Like if you go and look at their year to date. Um, you know, back in 2021, they were around August of 2021, they were around $228 a share. So, um, like many stocks, they were taking the ride of the general high that that the economy that the stock market was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, then they proceeded to have a little bit of a bumpy year. Um, and then, you know, in March, when things started to, when we started to realize that there were going to be a lot of challenges with one inflation and then two with, um, with uh, supply chain challenges, they reported earnings and they were terrible. Um, they had lost a bunch of money. Like it was absurd. Um, and at this point, you know, Ryan Cohen was, I think had just gotten involved um, and they quickly ended up after he, he got, he bought and I forget how many, what percentage ownership he had, but it's a substantial piece of ownership. I want to say somewhere hovering around 10%. That may be wrong. May have been a little bit under 10%. Um, but he had bought in and they quickly made a plan. They, he got a few, he negotiated some board seats, I think three board seats, Bed Bath and Beyond. And then they fired the CEO of the company. Um, I mean, it made sense. He had lost a lot of money that last quarter. Um, and Bed Bath and Beyond had continued to lose money. So they've been trying to figure out in their strategy department, how do we fix these supply chain challenges? How do we increase our name brand recognition? Like, what do we do to fix some of these things? They had a lot of stuff in inventory because then they overbought like many of these target, whatever retail stores. And then a few things happened. One, Walmart reported stronger earnings than expected, which was a good sign for all of these target. Bed Bath and Beyond, any of these kind of larger big box retail stores. Mm-hmm. So Walmart reports better earnings, um, and the the meme stockholders jump on Bed Bath and Beyond. Retail trading goes through the roof, and what I mean by that is retail investors. So these kind of like your Reddit, you know, I think it was I think it was um, Fidelity. Uh, was the most like all most of trading came from Fidelity, which is where I think a lot of the meme traders like moved to after Robinhood's collapse. Um, and so they it, it bumps up, the stock goes crazy. So if you just go and look at the one month graph, they went from six dollars on August 4th, um, up to eleven dollars on August 8th. So they started to grow, and then the meme guys really got a hold of it. And they peaked closing day at $23, but on, on, that was August 17th. But that day they had gotten all the way up to, I think like $28. Um, wow. yeah, it was th- so the, the 52 week high is now $30. So Adam started just dumping. I think he started dumping at $17 a share and dumped, was able to sell some at $27 a share over the course of like two days. You mean Ryan? Yeah, Ryan, Adam Newman, Ryan. So Ryan was able to get rid of his shares at those prices. So that's where, and I think it's like 68 million bucks that he made. And now Bed Bath and Beyond is is left with no activist investor. So right, they have no white knight to kind of help turn the company around now. The pro and for those of you who don't know, like this is just because like their stock going up means literally nothing for Bed Bath and Beyond. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. give them more capital to <laughs> fix hype. their problems. It does nothing for them except they lost their white knight. Yeah. And he was seen as kind of like by the Reddit crowd as this guy who, you know, like he was a white knight. Like he was seen by the Reddit crowd as like this Messiah figure kind of that, you know, 
championed GameStop, championed uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, and so there there was a lot of belief uh, in him. And you know, there's there's a similar um, kind of uh, phenomenon that happens with like investors like Warren Buffett, who like you know when he announces a stake in a company, you know, pretty much a bunch of people will just plow money into whatever it is because it's Warren Buffett. And if he buys it, you know, it's, it's going to be a solid company. And so the Reddit crowd was the same way with Ryan Cohen. And so with him pulling money out, like it's, it's not a good sign. And I'm sure a lot of Reddit DGENs have, uh, have lost quite a bit of money the last few days because of that. Well, and one thing to remember too is part of the reason why these meme stock frenzies happen is often because there are shorts on these companies from massive hedge funds or large, more institutional investors. And that's like the antithesis of all Reddit investors. Um, so they see that and they want to squeeze them out. It's why I remember saying we had a friend, um, who had made a lot of money on GameStop. He could sell and he could have sold at many different points, but he was in the belief that like, no, like we're, none of us are going to sell. Right, we're going to hold. Right. We're going to keep squeezing these guys. And what people that don't, what if you don't know much about shorting a stock, what happens is when the stock starts getting, when the stock's being shorted and the, um, all of a sudden it starts spiking in price, these massive institutions have to start buying to cover their short positions. Um, and so that then also further drives up the price of the stock. And so it becomes this mat. Then you've got all these other people that are just wanting to pile in on this Reddit upswing. And all of a sudden you have these crazy, you know, massive up positions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's shorting is very complex, but basically they are forced to buy the stock, which obviously makes it go up. Um, well, and even here today, we're at a hundred percent, even at the stock price today, $11 a share, we're at a hundred, we're up a hundred percent in the past month. So yeah. it's still, it's still not like it's tanked. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's a crazy, just a nice callback to about a year ago when all of this craziness was going on with GameStop. I remember having conversations with like a friend's dad called me and was like, you know, a friend of mine who wasn't uh, super into finance or the markets or anything, but his dad was, and he was like, what is, you know, what do you think about GameStop? And like, also I'm like, uh, you're betting against like some of the smartest investors in the world. So have fun with that, but uh, I'm not going to participate. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just funny. It's a funny phenomenon that I don't think has happened uh, at any point in history. So yeah. Anyways, moving on. I think, um, you know, maybe the last thing we, we briefly touched on, the only last thing to talk on very briefly was Walmart reported earnings, I believe, this mm-hmm. week. Um, mm-hmm. And they beat earning per share expectations by about 11%. So explain why that's a big deal, specifically Walmart beating earnings. So I think, you know, there's a few things. A lot of these big box retailers had a challenge then Q1 with supply, supply chain, not only getting, you know, there's been consistent supply chain challenges, but what happened is there was this massive concern that with the decreasing economy and a mm-hmm. lot of these big box retailers who had overstocked items, right. that all of a sudden money was going to be pulled out of the market. They were going, no one was going to be buying and they were going to just sit on all this inventory that had got rotten. They couldn't figure out how to handle inflation, um, whether that be labor or cost of goods, blah, 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 energy problems. And Walmart, which is, you know, like the fortune one company, um, their ability to say, no, actually like, Hey, we've started to figure out how to handle this in a recessionary environment. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we know how to price our items. We have, at least at the moment, right? But we've gotten a hold of our supply chain to some extent and people are still buying. Like it is right. actually still like the revenue was up slightly. Like it is still, people are still buying. Like I think you're seeing this on vacations this summer. Um, people are spending more. I think I read that people are spending more at like luxury at like these vacation places than they ever have before. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like going out to dinner, going, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons people haven't done it in three years or they have more money, but like people are buying, they're not concerned. And so I think, you know, Walmart's kind of this figurehead for big box retail. Um, and they're a massively important market. I mean, like they are responsible for so much of America's buying. Right. I mean, your everyday guy to even your middle upper class, upper class people, they, they buy stuff at Walmart and it's a good indicator of what's going on uh, from a consumer's perspective. Yeah, exactly. It, it just I think when you live in on the coasts of the United States and you're kind of you live in New York City or L.A. or San Francisco or Seattle, even, you know, you don't really like get a live picture into how macroeconomic trends are affecting middle America. And so Walmart, I feel like is a good proxy for uh, evaluating consumer spending and all of that in the the middle of the United States. Um, So it is very interesting, like seeing that, especially with what's, you know, a lot of CEOs have been saying this, this earnings season about how poorly um, their, their outlooks are for the next two quarters and, and all of that. Um, So it's interesting to look at how inflation has been impacting consumers spending habits and all of that um, kind of at the margin or at the, like where, you know, these decisions are being made like on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, it was pretty interesting to see that. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up in a town of 2000 people where like we drove 30 minutes to get to the nearest Walmart and it was the main place to get your groceries and items. And then I moved to a team, a town of 10,000 people. And like, not only the thing to do where everyone got everything from groceries to like guns, it also guns anymore, but to like camping gear to like toys, you went to Walmart. And then when you're in high school to like hang out, like, you went, you drove to Walmart yeah. and you like walked around the Walmart for 30 minutes and that was how you hung out. So I think it's such an important staple of, of so much of America. So interesting to see. I think that's all we got. You know, this is kind of an interesting episode. We really went in deep on a few fun subjects, but I mean, they were, um, there were shocking things that came out this week. So mm-hmm. good to talk about. Awesome. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week. All right. And remember any sponsors out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Hit us up. Bye. Hit us up.